Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recording. Talk Recorded live. All right. Good evening, everyone. This is September the 19th. 2017, and we are going to begin the National Popular Assembly. Uh, We have um, Central Illinois here on the phone. We have Southern Indiana, Northwestern Illinois, and Southern Kansas, and then the Illinois, the main Illinois Assembly, which is, um, I don't know if you're Western, Western Illinois, I think is where we are. And uh, today is a very significant day with the huge earthquake um, in Mexico. And there were eight earthquakes yesterday, last night at 3 o'clock. I counted them uh, in Oaxaca, Mexico. So Mexico City this morning, Oaxaca last night or early morning, and then um, California yesterday, it was 45 and uh, another Hurricane Maria that's devastated um, the uh, Dominican, and uh, Jose is acting up, and um, he's getting closer to land, to, to New York and New, New England. So we have to keep our, ourselves in, in um, as a Beach Boys sing, in good vibrations, <laughs> keep staying in land or in an area of blessings, so that the virus is safe and then we can be a source of strength for others if we can look after ourselves. Um, I, with that, I, uh, I yield. And I, before that, I'd like everybody from the different states to just say hello to everyone. And, um, and then Mama G can introduce herself too. Um, so I, I yield with that. Well, I'm sure as Paul knows, I'm Steve. Uh, hi, Mama G. Nice meeting you. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll uh, we'll have some more people joining in. I know uh, with everything going on across the country right now, as Nardine had indicated earlier, uh, you know, people are a little stressed. And, you know, generally we have more people pop in a little bit later in the call. But uh, with that said, I yield. So that's Steve from Northwestern Illinois. And then from southern Kansas, it's Paul, right? Paul? Or maybe he's muted himself. And then southern Indiana is Mama G. And who is in western, uh, west, uh, west central Illinois? Hello? Did we lose the call or did did they um, mute themselves or what? Steve? I I have no idea. Uh, This is one of those calls that you don't have to mute, guys. You can, uh, you know. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear it now. Who is this? Uh, This is Mama G. Okay. How is it out in Colorado today? Very, very windy. 
on the southern part of the state. Okay. Would you happen to know uh, Greg Johnson? A little bit. I'm sorry, what? Uh, A little bit. Okay. Uh, uh, I uh, I made friends with uh, Greg a couple of years ago on uh, Facebook, and we've talked occasionally here and there. Um, pretty seems like a pretty solid guy. Um, are you uh, are you in any way uh, uh, familiar with Bruce Doucette and that crew? Uh, a little bit. Okay, about the about, about the same uh, same uh, thing there. I I kind of interceded and you know have been talking back and forth with him for a couple of years now. Um, so first time talking to you. Uh, Nardine speaks very highly of you, and uh, I look forward to, you know, your input. Uh, who who speaks highly of me? Nardine. Oh, thank you, Nardine. <laughs> yes, we, we've had some uh, good conversations, and you're very dedicated. And that's, that means a lot that, that, you know, we need people who really are are uh, are very dedicated to what we are doing. It takes a it takes a certain amount of energy. To, well, uh, yeah, yeah, Paul. When uh, in response to that, Noreen, uh, I think there's a lot of dedicated people and and committed to what it, the end uh, goal that we're mostly all after. Mm-hmm. However, sometimes they haven't been able to find a way to get. 48 hours out of a 24-hour day. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And that's why this this is so convenient. A, you can call in from wherever you are. And if you miss the call, then you can go into the recording and uh, listen to the recording. And then the email will give you a little um, synopsis of, of what occurred. Mm-hmm. But yes, you have to make time. Time is a construct of human beings. And so it's a fluid thing. You create time for things that are important. It's, there is, it just happens that way. Well, I'm a work in progress, and that's what I'm still working on. <laughs> yes. So we still don't know who's from central Illinois, west central Illinois. Can you say hello? Well, Okay, uh, Nardine. Yes. Um, I'd like to I'd like to uh, move forward and go ahead and make a couple of announcements here, if that's all right with you. Yes, please go right ahead, and we won't worry about that. All right, so go ahead. Okay, uh, a little bit earlier today, I went ahead and posted the uh, what a grand jury is on the mm-hmm. popular assembly page. Uh, in okay. there is a brief synopsis of not only what the grand jury can and cannot do, but also a synopsis of their power and their uh, uh, their their abilities uh, to investigate um, and even, you know, uh, it goes over a short blurb about how, uh, you know, if somebody is found to be guilty of, uh, you know, an indictment, uh, how they will actually sponsor the auctioning of uh, merchandise or, uh, you know, confiscated goods uh, to not only pay for the court, but to pay off any fines or, uh, you know, any retribution to the plaintiff. Um, okay. I, I spent 
the better part of three hours today uh, going back over the uh, grand jury manual and editing. Um, I did post uh, two of the beginning um, um, uh, analogies on uh, mm-hmm. both popular, the Popular Assembly website and also, uh, I'm sorry, Popular Assembly Facebook page and also on my personal Facebook page. And I would suggest that everybody go and read those because it is where all of this began and a little bit of a history lesson into why it began and what mm-hmm. the principles are behind it. Uh, mm-hmm. In addition to that, uh, I am going to uh, start doing the talk show um, recordings of the grand jury manual so that everybody can okay. expedite their processing in that. And it will, it will also create some uh, unity and how everything is viewed. Uh, and that will also allow me to give the history of why a particular uh, scenario plays out the way it does within the realm of the grand jury and the courts. And um, okay. uh, part of the, uh, part of the, uh, uh, the lessons that I'm going to go over a lot of will be the history of what we can and cannot do as a body in the popular assembly and as a grand jury so that everybody has the confidence to go forward with this and understand that there is no, uh, you know, there's going to be no retribution in the end. Uh, this, this whole thing with people filing liens against judges and filing charges and, and doing all of this uh, kind of got a little offset by other groups that were trying to do things without this unity. And so what I'm hoping is that over the course of uh, the next few weeks, we will be able to bring in a few more people and a few more people from these different groups and show mm-hmm. them the, the, the design factor of this unity and why it is so important that everybody nationwide gets on the same page with this. Um, sure. You know, we, we've had a group uh, – uh, let me rephrase that. We've had um, intermittent groups that have popped up and either – gotten themselves into trouble or through uh, p- uh, political argument, uh, through uh, ego, have uh, kind of decimated themselves from within. And, you know, a little bit of that actually happened to us here uh, last year. So mm-hmm. um, this I'm hoping, and, you know, I'm hoping everybody will kind of uh, latch on to this. This isn't being done from the point of view of, you know, let's go get them and, you know, let's, let's do this, let's do that. This is more of the mechanics of what we can and cannot do and the processes, and this is very important, the actual processes behind the validity of the uh, way things are done so that, let's say, someone in Portland, Oregon has a case that they want to bring before the grand jury not only will they know how to bring the case before the grand jury, but they will have the history of why, who, what, when, where, you know, uh, the, the semantics, the rhetoric, all that will be in play. and It will all be in place. And, um, you know, uh, it's taken quite a while to source all of this information, so I'm hoping everybody uh, will, you know, be able to uh, grasp not only the knowledge that's there, but also throw in some contributions, uh, which will make us just that much stronger. With that, I yield. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to take the floor, please, if I may. Um, uh, Steve, had you had mentioned to me over a phone call that you were thinking of recording 
the the grand jury manual because now for those who are new are following this um a manual a handbook is really um a way for giving unity to all these disparate groups because otherwise we run into issues about well the history is kind of nice it's kind of neat to see the history because you see how important it is and how deep it is and how much of an essential component it is for america okay that's kind of neat but when you've got the logistics of it maybe it's my business mind talking but it is like you've got to see how it works and then we run into issues uh, obstacles difficulties some confusions the powers and all that then you've it's good to have a central um form like this that you can go back to it so uh, Steve had come up with a brilliant idea. I think it's wonderful of of actually reading it into um, the recording, just the way we are doing right now, and uh, different chapters and have it put on a different days, not just on Tuesdays, so people can actually access it as they want. Like they're, if they're interested to see, okay, how do you do an indictment, or um, what do you do after the complaint is given to a jury um, administrator? A commissioner. So then, what's the next step? And so they can just access these things online. But I don't know how we're going to do it and how we're going to break it up. That's um, you know, it's like chapters of a book. And how do we, you know, how do, I suppose we could do it on the uh, by by titles on talk show. But I haven't yet figured that out as yet. You know, is, does anybody have any ideas about this? I yield. May I? Yes. Absolutely. This is Mama G. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank uh, you for putting that together, Steve, and uh, for all your labor of love in that effort. Uh, I'd like to suggest, uh, not knowing too much, that, that instead of putting it on uh, a talk show recording, to put it on the website. And if mm-hmm. you put it if you put it in audio, someone, say, like myself, who's new to this uh, talk show, uh, would be able to download it and be able to listen to it at my uh, opportunity and study it. Mm-hmm. Uh, those that are interested in knowing more about these, uh, the handbook itself and the processes, uh, it, they can be directed to uh, secure that from the website uh, at at their leisure, mm-hmm. and, and that way other business pertaining to the popular assembly, assembly on days like today could be um, uh, addressed. It's, okay. Yeah, because um, I, I'm interested. I'm, and if something like that were done, I'd be very interested to download it and to study it. I am interested uh, particularly with, uh, uh, well, several things concerning the grand juries. Um, for instance, uh, do we have anywhere uh, some kind of registry of all the grand juries presently in, uh, operating up and running in different parts of the nation? One. And two, uh, uh, I'm interested in this process after a grand jury brings in a verdict. Um, 
how do the people um, get their verdicts enforced with the de facto? Um, uh, and three, um, our grand juries say, I, like I've been informed from Naveen that there is a grand jury in Illinois. There, and I found out there isn't any so far that I know of in Indiana. And I have a case I'd like to present to a grand jury that is um, in the territory of Indiana. Is a grand jury allowed to expand and hear complaints for investigation and possibly indictments? Uh, so uh, those are the three things I'm interested in, and that's one of the main reasons I got into this call tonight. If anyone has anything uh, to bring to the table uh, for assistance in that matter, I'd appreciate it. And I'd also like uh, to um, I have uh, information about exactly what website are we talking about. Is it the uh, one that you recommended to me, Naveen? Uh, the website that we have is commonlawgrandjury.us. That's the yeah. national. Uh, that's a national website, and we are changing the uh, face, the, the photograph. Then um, I sent it into the webmasters, but I haven't heard back from them. So that's you know, we're going to have a, uh, an American flag, and what I've asked them to do is a wonderful map we've got of all the rivers of. Um, of America, because the rivers is where all the, uh, you know, the people started their living along the riverside, the banks of the river in every community, that's what happened. So the rivers, the network of the rivers is absolutely stunning. And so we have a stunning map about that. And on top of that, we would put a script of we the people the way it is now. And then we would change the words from continental grand, uh, grand jury of common law to popular assembly, and then have the American flag with the uh, with the river along the river. So we've got got that going, but it just has to be done. So that's commonlawgrandjury.us, and I'd like to answer the second question of yours because um, actually I can answer give some input for all of the questions. We are uploading the different grand juries that are already in existence on the commonlawgrandjury.us. Uh, but that's about a few months old, and I don't know if there are any new ones. We, we'd have to just update it, but the list is there. About the second thing about the verdict, that's a very good question, because a person with a gun is the one who enforces the verdict. So what the county sheriff is supposed to do um, and that's only in the county where the grand jury is, where the verdict would go. I don't know about a state level, but on the county sheriff, um, he is duty-bound, has taken the oath of um, upholding both the de jure and the de facto. Okay? okay? So what we're supposed to do is actually, once the verdict is done, we take it back to the uh, to, um the processing in the in the trial court, but then the sheriff gets a, gets that handed to him, and then if he ignores it, and Michigan taught us that that there is a number three you, for some reason it's a biblical thing about three times, so you have to do to give it to him three times, and if he continues to ignore it, 
then you would then go to the continental marshals. But that's where the question is, because some of the continental marshals have been arrested for um, uh, impersonating a public officer. So I'm not so sure about that, but I know that Steve has some input on that, and I'd like to turn it over to him on that. And uh, before I do that, I want to mention about Indiana. Indiana, we have been working with Indiana. There's a lady by the name of Sandra Black, and she has is working with people to get something going near Marion County. And uh, I don't know how effective it has been because they still don't have the, the venue adequate venue. They've been using a library, so I will um, I will get in touch with her again and see if she can get on this line tomorrow next time. Okay, so can I hand hand the um, phone over to Steve, and you can answer your very important question about how to enforce an indictment. Yeah, uh, give me just a second here. I'm, I'm pulling up some information. Um, in regards to uh, that, that is why I feel it is so important that we all get on the same page with the jury manual, and everybody understands the mechanics behind it, and. Uh, in the particular situation that you're talking about, about, you know, how you um, enforce, uh, there's several different methods of enforcement, and uh, just give me a half a second, I'll wait on my uh, computer to fire up here. And, uh, okay. Um, part of what I posted on the, uh, on the uh, Popular Assembly Facebook page was, in fact, the... Uh, 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 the rules of the road, so to speak. Okay, here we go. Um, well, where did it come out? It should come up here. Oh, there we go. Okay, I'm just going to start from the top with this, and this is going to cover quite a bit of your questions, and it'll also kind of give you an idea of where we're going. Now, keep in mind, this is just a short synopsis of how it all is supposed to work. And then the jury manual itself is very, very extensive. Okay? And, um, you know, as most people probably know, but for those that don't, a grand jury is 25 people of we the people. And those are the people that come together to accomplish three primary tasks in our system of government. First one is to protect the common people from unjust charges by those in power. And I'm sure that everybody looking out over the landscape of, of our current situation kind of understands why that's very important. Secondly, from evidence given to it, the people, uh, uh, excuse me, from evidence given, it, given to the grand jury from the people and evidence from its own investigations to make sure that the right bad actors are the ones that are actually standing trial. In other words, so that not an innocent person gets up in front of them. Uh, the third thing is investigate every operation of the government to root out corruption, including anything repugnant to our Constitution. Yeah. Uh, when, when we say repugnant to the Constitution, you know, Marbury versus Madison, Miranda versus Arizona, if you guys don't know those cases, I would suggest that you Absolutely get those cases and look at those. Uh, they are a little bit lengthy, but the explanations in them are absolutely critical to, you know, being able to 
uh, respond to uh, corruption and the repugnance to our Constitution. Now, the grand jury operates in all jurisdictions, including common law, statutory law, admiralty law, and even martial law, land jurisdiction, and sea jurisdiction. The grand jury is one of the primary ways we the people give or withdraw our consent of the government. And we do this to our public service. The grand jury operates free of any involvement by any branch of government or any government employees. And again, let me repeat that. It operates free of any involvement by any branch of government or any government employees. Now, uh, from, uh, from the U.S. versus Williams 1992 Supreme Court opinion, okay, the grand jury's functional independence from the judicial branch is evident both in the scope of its power to investigate criminal wrongdoing and in the manner that it is exercised. Unlike a court whose jurisdiction is predicated upon a specific case or controversy, the grand jury can investigate merely on suspicion that the law is being violated or even because it wants an assurance that it is not. Now, you know, in my opinion, we urgently need a grand jury today. And this is due to an epidemic of lawlessness in our government. And, you know, we have to act now to restore the rules of law, including our state and federal constitutions. The grand jury is needed to recenter our governments lawfully under our Constitution. Now, the concept of the grand jury comes to us primarily from Article 61 of the Magna Carta. Um, and the commentary for Article 52 and Article 61 of the Magna Carta, which is part of our common law, is very important as the foundation for our grand jury because it clearly explains how the corrective action uh, is, is to work. Now, you might, you know, the, the authority of the grand jury, um, uh, there's you know, many reasons why the grand juries are sometimes called the sureties of peace. But certainly a primary reason is that within the borders of the county of, or the borders of the state, for a statewide grand jury, the grand jury's decisions are supreme. For example, no politician, including even the President of the United States, can override a decision of the grand jury. No legislative body, including the Congress, the state legislature, and, of course, the Board of County Commissioners, can override a decision by the grand jury. No court, including even the U.S. Supreme Court, can override a decision by the grand jury of the county unless the grand jury acts to deprive someone of their rights. This simply means that no one nor any group can impress their will on a county if the grand jury says no. This leads to a society happily and peaceably living by its own rules and customs so long as it observes the organic law of our country including the Magna Carta, the Declaration of Independence, the Articles of Confederation, the Constitution for the United States of America, and the state constitution and the common law. Now, what is the grand jury work process? Well, remember that the grand jury is the highest-ranking court of record in the land. 
So the grand jury decides its own processes. Nobody can dictate to the grand jury what processes to follow. Although within our constitutional judiciary system, our grand jury chooses its own work processes, here is the primary process that the grand jury uses to accomplish work. Okay, first, a complaint is received directly from an injured party. Victim or representative filed a victim or representative files a complaint in the form of a signed notarized affidavit. An administrator reviews the form, and if judge sufficiently completed, assigns a case number. Administers prioritize cases against all complaints. Administers select the vital few highest priority cases to work. Alternatively, if a grand juror or an administrator learns about unlawful behavior, they can choose to file the complaint themselves. Investigations by the administrators. They validate the injury to the injured party, validate the economic value of the injury if appropriate, validate the root causes of the injury, validate the defendant's connection to the root causes of the injuries. Then it goes into the presentment stages. Presentments created by the administrators, naming the victim, the injury, and the defendants that need to restore that, that that need to restore the victim, and uh, excuse me, and the defendants need to restore the victim. Uh, the first four investigative administrators of the grand jury caused the presentment, a document summarizing their findings regarding the complaint, to be created and delivered by certified mail with return receipt requested to the defendants, and attempt to reach an agreement where the defendant agrees to stop the behavior that is causing the injury, and to fully restore the victim, really to restore the victim. Note that the document used is called the presentment because it presents the charges to the defendants publicly. This document also gets filed into the official public record, either directly or through certified mail return receipt requested. The administrator gets a book and a page number for, the, for, for reference. This is considered the first step of a public and speedy trial, as required in the Sixth Amendment. The delivery of the presentment to the defendants starts a 40-day timer. Usually, one of three outcomes is likely from the delivery of the presentment. The first would be the defendant agree with the presentment and recognize their responsibility for causing the injury and agree to restore the victim to the victim's satisfaction right away. This agreement, sometimes referred to as a corrective action plan, is memorialized in writing and signed by the victim and the defendant, both swearing under penalty of injury. In this case, the administrative responsibility for the case monitors, uh, I'm sorry, somebody said it right here. Uh, the administrator responsible for the case monitors the progress towards the agreed-upon deadlines in the corrective action plan to stop the injurious behavior and restore the victim. If the defendant fails to execute without good cause, the administrator brings the case evidence to the 25 in the form of a draft of a true bill of indictment. Now, the second way this works, the defendant contests the presentment and rebut the presentment with their alternative set of facts in the form of a notarized affidavit, which, specific, uh, which 
with specificity, specificity, I'm sorry, with specificity, and whatever other evidence they have that supports their case. The administrator validates the defendant's affidavit and lays all the evidence in the case in front of the grand jury. If the grand jury agrees that the defendant's sworn affidavit exonerates the defendant, the grand jury votes for a no bill, or it's called an ignoramus. If the grand jury does not agree that the affidavit exonerates the defendant, then a true bill of indictment is handed down and the case will go to trial by a petite jury of 12 independent jurors without a judge. Let me repeat that again. It will go to trial by a petite jury of 12 independent jurors without a judge. The defendants do nothing. Uh, the third one is, excuse me, uh, the defendants do nothing in the 40-day period. That is to say the defendants did not implement corrective action, nor did they rebut the presentment. This means the defendants have acquiesced and by default have agreed that the charges against them containing the presentment are true. By acquiescing, the defendants automatically convert their status from accused to being convicted criminals of the charges. The administrator of the case brings all available evidence together and creates a default judgment and a true bill of indictment to be considered by the grand jury. Alternatively, if the evidence is so complete and solid, the administrators may skip the presentment phase and put the evidence in front of the 21 plus the four administrative investigators, totaling 25, seeking, direct, seeking directly an indictment of the accused. Now, indictment of named, uh, indictment of named defendants. The administrator updates the grand jury, with con which considers the evidence, including a completed ledger of defendants. The ledger is a column of names of the defendants and the crime charges against each. The jail time for each crime, according to U.S. Criminal Code, the fines according to U.S. Criminal Code, and the economic damages suffered by the victim. The administrators present the evidence, the ledger, and the draft indictment. After reviewing evidence in the case, the grand jury votes on the draft indictment with any charges they determine necessary. With a minimum of 13 grand jurors present, if more than 50% of the grand jurors present vote positively, a true bill of indictment against the defendant is handed down. The administrators, again, file the document into the official public record in person or by certified mail return receipt and deliver copies to all defendants' certified mail return receipts. The handing down of a true bill of indictment by the grand jury requires the accused to stand trial in front of a petite jury of 12 peers. Peers are to be we the people who know the accused character. Because the grand jury files the true bill of indictment into the public record, this filing represents another step in public and speedy trial called for our Sixth Amendment. Only the cases that have been acquiesced to enter into the following, will enter into the following two steps. An order to disdain encumbers all property and assets available, including real estate, financial assets, salaries, and paychecks, etc., of the defendants and spouses necessary, necessary to restore the victim. The next one would be order to distress. Like the bees attacking, like bees attacking the defendant who disturbed their nest, the administrators will mobilize we the people to take enough defendants, enough defendants' assets to restore the victim. If necessary, the administrators advertise the upcoming auction of the defendants' assets 
hold an auction, use proceeds to restore the victim, and return any unused assets to the defendant. Alternatively, in the case of an unlawful or unconstitutional behavior by a government official, the ledger can be attached to the true bill of indictment with its stamp showing it was filed into the relevant official public record or court record and a cover letter drafted demanding the insurance company that underwrote either the surety bond for the government official or the liability insurance for the county and state to fully compensate the victim according to damages detailed on the ledger within 30 days. Usually, the insurance company will consider withdrawing the bond of an official who acts unlawfully, thereby causing the official to have to vacate the office. So that's that's just a brief synopsis of how it's supposed to work. Now, when we get into the jury manual itself, there will be more extensive rules in there, and it will give step-by-step processes that are in place under our Constitution so that no one can either dissuade the jury, uh, can, you know, uh, come in and upset the jury, tell the jury what to do, uh, you know, intimidate, uh, or anything like that. Now, in regards to uh, Mama G's question in regards to how to enforce, um, when one of these cases goes to, uh, uh, let's say it goes to a court and it's uh, being tried, uh, there's a couple of terms that you'll get familiar with you know, from the manual itself, and one of those is a special master and the other is a marshal. Those can be assigned by the court, and that can be anybody. That could be, you know, let's say I'm having a trial and I decide, well, I want Mama G to be a special master. Now, what a special master is, in all for all extensive purposes, is they are a conduit for me to get things done. Meaning, you can serve paperwork, you can research files, you can go out and you can pull documents from the defendant, you can talk directly with any uh, any judicial person uh, that ha- that has a, an interest in the in the mentioned case. That means that you have the same power as you would equate with, let's say, an equity judge. Now, appointing a marshal, the same thing. Now, this all has to go on public record, and there's forms to fill out that you actually file with the county clerk. Okay? As a marshal, you're the enforcement arm for the grand jury. Okay? And, you know, if we tell you to go out and pick somebody up and bring them back at, you know, at, at, at our convenience, that's your job. Okay? So, you know, there's a, there's more to all of this than just having to involve the sheriff. I mean, you know, the the way the rules work is, yes, we should involve the sheriff that has been voted in by we the people. That doesn't mean the city police officer. That doesn't mean the police chief for the city of, say, Rockford, Illinois, or of uh, Denver, Colorado. It means the duly elected sheriff. In addition to that, if the sheriff doesn't listen to the grand jury, the grand jury can always go to the coroner. The coroner is actually above the sheriff and is one of the only people that can not only serve the sheriff besides a special master or a marshal from the grand jury, but he is also the only person that can take the sheriff's power away from him and fire him on the spot. 
So I hope that kind of cleared up some of your questions there, Mama G. Okay. Uh, may I? Absolutely. Are you there? Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Um, thank you very much for all that input. Um, I'm wondering, uh, were you reading that uh, business out of the manual? Uh, no, that's just a brief synopsis of how it, how it's supposed to work. Uh, the manual is much more extensive, and honestly, uh, you know, give me that second. I'll tell you the the, uh, the manual. I, I forgot how many pages it is, but I've been working on this thing, and somebody else had their input in it, and this has been a a work in progress for quite a long time. Um, hang on one second here. Where did you get the synopsis? Uh, that was uh. That was that was written by me and another person, and uh, we had uh, grabbed information from different sources and just kind of melded them together. May I? Uh, if you don't know about it, a very good resource that I I use quite a bit is Bill Thornton's uh, 1215.org. Are you familiar with that? I haven't. Uh, I have it in a in a file. I haven't got to it yet. <laughs> Michigan okay. is uh, uh, Just to really give you an idea, right now the jury manual is sitting at 150 pages. Okay. Well, uh, let me go. I, I just give a brief overview of some of the uh, some of the topics that you're going to cover. Uh, I, I I have the grand jury manual. Okay. I have, uh, I have it downloaded. Okay. Yeah. I don't know which grand jury manual that you have, but this, it's this uh, com- particular. Com- but where did you get it from? Because there's one that's from Michigan. Uh, it might it's be. On the, it's on their website. It was either from Michigan or freecountry.com. A free country is Michael Hamilton's work. Yes. Right. And I don't know where he got his research from. I I I didn't know that he had one. I can actually ask him. Well, it's uh, a grand jury book. Um, it kind of uh, lays out uh, the grand jury and the jurors and the processes. Um, but okay. I can tell there's more than one grand jury common law common law grand jury uh, manual or book out there. Well, yeah, and that's the, see, and that's what the problem has been. There's been all of these different manuals out there. So what we've kind of done is we've taken all the manuals that we could get our hands on, every single one. I've got them from NLA, Michael Hamilton, uh, you know, uh, the uh, Michigan Girl Assembly, uh, you know, uh, the John Burke Society. I mean, you know, and what we did was we went through and we vetted the things that could be and were actual were actualities that were within the bounds of our constitutional law and within the common law. And the things that were either not pertinent or were personal opinion or had some political motivation behind them, we stripped those out. And so, like I said, this has been a work in progress. And uh, I think at last count, uh, I had about 
14 different grand jury manuals, and there was all kinds of stuff in there. Uh, just to give you an example, the one from the NLA had a lot of Christian content in it. And, you know, that's all fine and dandy. I'm not saying anything about, you know, Christian values or anything else like that. But in the vast landscape of our Constitution and our common law rights, uh, you know, we don't need to have church and state mixing themselves together. So, you know, the content, again, that was good in that manual, that could be vetted, that could be actually, you know, we could actually go and we could research it. We could find out, yes, this is a true fact or no, this was somebody's personal opinion. And we stripped out personal opinion and religious uh, treaties and, you know, uh, uh, that type of stuff so that it didn't get in the way of the facts. And so the manual that I'm going to be presenting is based on facts and on vetted facts. And uh, it gives a a rundown of not only the history, and I can't stress enough that, you know, the history behind all of this is, is the real true mechanics of how it works. But it also goes over uh, the authority. It also goes over the organization and procedure. Uh, it also goes over the subjects of study and reference. Uh, it goes over, you know, the important parts uh, of the law. And so people won't walk themselves into situations like what happened in Colorado with Bruce Doucette and his guys. And, you know, Michael, uh, Michael Hamilton's had some problems. Uh, there's another gentleman named Michael School. There's some other, some other people that we know that have had some significant problems because, you know, first of all, uh, they really didn't, I think, grasp the, the, the reasoning behind some of the things that they were trying to do and whether or not, in fact, they could do those things. And that's what we're trying to prevent here, and that's why I said, you know, hopefully this will create some unity within the entire continental United States. And uh, to be honest with you, I think uh, I and another gentleman started working on this a little over a year and a half ago. And so the research part of it, just for the history alone, was just, I mean, you know, there's, there's been days here where I've spent four, five, six hours just going over a particular part of history just to make sure that, look, this is a reality. This isn't some story that was made up for the newspapers or for, you know, uh, history. It was actually facts that were based either in court trial or process or, you know, the Magna Carta or the common law or advocacy court or military court um, because we felt that the thing that was lacking was all of these grand jury groups was a defined Mission on facts. Um, you know, you can find all kinds of stuff online about this, that, and the other thing, and get grand juries included in that. And, you know, a lot of times you run into personal um, information, um, you know, religious beliefs, uh, political motivations. And so what we've tried to do is strip all of that out. Oh, that's I yield. Sorry. That's a huge, huge benefit for everybody because it's in the right place and upholds those values that we have to uphold. Are you saying something, uh, Mamaji? I-, I was waiting for a yield. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry. I yield. <laughs> sorry about that. 
Yeah, it, it, uh, 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 that uh, that's very true about the history, Steve. I I appreciate your in, uh, input and uh, perception on that, and for following through. Now you own it because you did the research, and now the people that gather that information or glean that information from you must also uh, read it wrap their head around it, process it, so that they too can own it, uh, that information. Um, I think the history is important because for me, I see it as uh, it laying down the foundation on which the principles um, come out of for the people. Uh, and the, the, the structure of it is uh, the pillars. And if, uh, you know, yeah, it's an awesome piece of work you've done, a, a very good work of art from the sounds of it. I would be very much interested in um, studying more on that. And I thank you for sharing, especially about all these different manuals, because that gives fuller disclosure uh, for me that the manual I have might just be one of more than a dozen. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to more study on that. In, in particularly, the business with the sheriff and the coroner, as far as the enforcing part goes. Um, I appreciate that new information about the coroner uh, over the sheriff. I thought that I've um, been under the, led to believe from my research that they're on the same level of authority. And so um, that's new information I'll, I'll, I'll follow up on. Uh, now, I, the question I have about uh, presenting to the sheriff uh, to do something about anything with the de facto um, in that he wears two hats. He wears a hat for the people and he wears a hat for the de facto if I'm uh, my research and homework has uh, served me correctly. And if he is serving for the de facto, he, he cannot serve two masters. He, he, he cannot swear an oath to the U.S. Constitution and, 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 this, and whatever state when knowing that that state is de facto. It's not de jure, you know. So right there is a conflict of interest to go to a sheriff and possibly even a coroner to ask them to enforce anything. And um, if a sheriff was to uh, drop the contract, which I'm looking into, I heard that they have a contract with the de facto, the elected sheriffs, they're supposed to have a contract uh, which allows them to do arrests and all that other business in the de facto courts and, and the de facto system. If a sheriff was to... Um, uh, uh, some way cancel out the contract they have with the de facto. I have a question that's been asked to me: Who's going to pay the sheriff to perform his duties? Okay, so here's the deal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so no, I, I yield. I, I got it. I do have an answer for you. Okay, and uh, it's 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 actually pretty simple. Okay. Again, there is no other agency of judication or law that is above the grand jury, meaning it doesn't matter who he thinks he works for. 
A direct order from the grand jury is a, is a direct order. Now, once the grand jury is established, and, you know, when, and, and think about what we're talking about here. We're talking about 25 of upright citizens, uh, I'm not going to use the term citizens, I don't like it, upright people of the community uh, who have gathered together in a popular assembly to, you know, go over their grievances and to take a look at, you know, what's going on. Uh, and remember, the grand jury has the power to indict the sheriff. They have the power to indict the president of the United States, if they so deem fit, if they think that there is a, 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 a adjudicatable matter that, uh, you know, of unconscionable actions, of, you know, uh, a contract dispute, I mean, you know, their power is limitless. And by assigning something, uh, like, say, uh, assigning someone, like, say, for instance, a special master, again, I want to repeat to you, that special master has all the same attributes and powers as you would find in a de facto judge sitting on the bench. Matter of fact, he actually has more. The reason that I know this is because I'm assigned as a special master with the court here in uh, Winnebago County, uh, and I work on the common law side uh, for, uh, I, excuse me, I worked on the common law side for a particular case that went up in front of the grant, uh, went up in front of, um, the common law court, and also in the equity court, and that's called duality of court, and we'll get into that a little bit later. That's uh, that also goes gets gone over in the uh, in the uh, uh, the jury manual. But uh, as such, I could pull records. I could go meet with the judges. I uh, served and actually did this. I actually served the sheriff, met with the U.S. marshals, sat down with the coroner, um, talked with the county clerk. Actually uh, had to had to tune the uh, head of the clerk's office up, a guy named Thomas Klein, who refused to do some paperwork. And so I uh, went and took paperwork to him, explaining that he didn't have the rights, nor did he have the immunity to say, no, I'm not going to do that. And uh, the, after tuning him up like that, it was a very, it was so much of a pleasure to walk in. And the only, the only person that I had to deal with at any level was the head clerk. Um, when I walked in the building, it was, I got this, get out of the way, guys. You guys don't know what's going on here. This is something i got to handle. Okay. Um, at the same time, I've also been appointed as a marshal. So, you know, had the orders come down, uh, you know, I would have done what I had to do to bring whatever necessary means to bear uh, to the common law side of the court. So I want you to understand, even though they may work for the de facto side, and they may have a contract and they may have all this, you know, hype and skippy going on for them. The reality of this is where a gathering of our peerage gets together in, a, in 25 or more, that is a grand jury. Okay. And if they hand down an indictment, there is no other power in the land that is higher or above that. And listen, the grand jury, even according to the Supreme Court, is the supreme power of our country. Not even them. They, can't, they cannot take on that hat. So let that rest with you for a minute. Uh, now, I, there is, <laughs> yeah, there's protocol and process to all of this, and that's why we went through the trouble that we've been going through and listen, this is a this is an organic growing concept in this manual. 
is not set in stone other than the facts that are absolutely necessary to make this a lawful assembly of jural process. Now, there's rules to this, and those are listed out in our Constitution and in the state Constitution. But this also means that when we all get together in the same room, and let's just say, hypothetically, there was a court case going on in the de facto court, and we heard that there was some unscrupulous or unconscionable behavior going on by the magistrate. If we all converge upon that court and we sit in and we see this unconscionable behavior materialize before our eyes, we can do the indictment right there on the floor. So, you know, there is no higher power. Well, what about the fact that they're all operating uh, on the land under the law of the sea? That in itself is uh, unconscionable. It is, but, you know, look, once, like they say, baby steps, one step at a time. You know, first of all, uh, you know, you're not going to go out as a grand jury and indict an entire judicial assembly of de facto judges. It's not going to happen. Okay. Now, what you in process, what should happen is you find the one that has the most unconscionable uh, effect on things, that has the most uh, you know nefarious uh, reasoning, and that would be the focal point of the jural assembly in the grand jury. And you know you start with the top domino, so to speak. Okay, and, you know, once they see that, oh, wow, this is for real, I just got my butt thrown in a ringer. Now, and also keep in mind, what we're talking about, this covers a broad synopsis of of powers, one of those being, you know, when an indictment goes down with a county official, now you're talking about going to the bonding company, the insurance company that's insured this person under oath, to not have unconscionable or unreasonable effect upon its judicial power. Has and anyone so, ever done that? I'm sorry, what? Excuse me. Has anyone ever done that, the full process of going to the insurance or bond companies and succeeded? Well, I, I, I don't. I cannot honestly say that I know of anybody that has done that within our assembly or within our group or within some of the groups that we know about and have have talked with, but I do know that it has been done because there's plenty of Supreme Court cases to back that up. Well, I'd like to have some of those if you, uh, when, whenever you might and be willing. And uh, okay, Well, well uh, one of those that I would, I, I would strongly suggest you look at is Marbury versus Madison. What was it? Yeah. Marbury, M-A-R-B-U-R-Y, versus Madison. Yes, I have that one. Okay. Um, You know, when you look at that case now, um, if you reread it today after knowing what you know now, that case is going to take on a different bearing for you. You're going to understand that, oh, wow, okay. This is true power. Excuse me, isn't, isn't that a case before 1937? You know what? Uh, that part of it doesn't matter. It has never been overturned. Uh, the, brief synopsis, 
the brief synopsis on that is all laws and practices which are repugnant to the Constitution are null and void. And, you know, Miranda, which was a, 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 a later case, also backs that up. And it says, where rights secured by the Constitution are involved, there can be no rulemaking or legislation that would abrogate them, meaning you can't do away with them just because you think your, you know, your de facto powers give you that ability. You can't do that. Okay? And that so, was the true case? That was Miranda versus Arizona. Yeah, okay, I got that, yeah. Okay, now, if you, if, I'll, I'll see what I have, and if you would be so kind as to forward your, uh, forward your email, I'll see what case law that I have that I can give you that will kind of give you some more ammo, so to speak. Yeah, to I have get that delegated. I have those two cases. I just was going over the, um, uh, the first one, and I remember it being before 1937, and then I mm-hmm. remember uh, reading something, uh, something in my work that said after it was 37 Tompkins, I think it was, that, uh, no, railroad, it was the railroad case, yeah. Um, uh, Erie, Erie Railroad. Yeah, and I remember reading that um, after that case, no U.S. Supreme Court uh, ruled anymore on um, common law, only uh, uh, commercial, I think it was. But anyway, the way that the U.S. Supreme Court's de facto had um, uh, been operating, there was room for common law, and after that, they they snuffed it out, basically. Well, no, and and see, this is what they'd like you to believe. But let me let me reassure you with some information that will help you immensely. The Federal Court of Claims in Washington D.C. is a common law court of record. The entire state of California is a common law court of record, but you have to invoke common law. Now, here's the thing. You need not con- you need to be very careful that you don't confuse common law with equity or chancery or admiralty or military because they are two separate trains of thinking, okay? okay. And one will always supersede the other depending on the cause. Now, I'm going to give you an example of that. If I go and I've got a contract dispute, equity will always take precedence over common law in regards to an equity into a contractual dispute. That's just the way it is. Now, you can open a common law court and run that common law court right alongside that equity court, okay? But you're talking apples and oranges now. So you're going to have two different cases and two different vernaculars going on at the same time. However, if it is purely a contract dispute, equity will always take precedence over common law in that particular case. Now, where common law works in our benefit is to keep the substantive side of contracts in their proper place and scope. In other words, it doesn't let them go running around and jumping all over the place and doing whatever the hell they want. Basically, the common law says, okay, here's the rules and here's why, 
and here's what you did and why you can't. Does that make a little bit better sense to you? Yeah, I, I'm following you. I'm following you. Um, yeah, it's a lot to process. Okay. Yeah, and, that's, and, it's, and, and understand what you're saying here. It is a lot to process. Okay, it so is, in, it is, it, in, in Illinois, yeah. uh, um, Illinois, I understand, is exercising and operating successfully as being recognized throughout the state or different parts of the state for common law. But that that's that is true. And the sheriff that you served uh and went through all what you went through in your earlier description, uh was the outcome that someone did get arrested? Well, uh, no, the be- the beginning of the whole process was somebody had been arrested and that we successfully prosecuted a writ of habeas corpus and, uh, and uh, uh, secured their release. And how long did that take uh, in weeks, months, uh, with the... Uh... Um, all, total, all total, I would say, probably about a year and three months. So the person stayed uh, in harm's way? For, for no, a year? No, no, no. Well, we, we secured their release immediately. And then uh, from that point, we went back in and fought the uh, the false charges and the allegations against them. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to get too off track here, but the, the bottom line in this is that with successfully prosecuting the habeas corpus, uh, we basically said to them, look, the short of it is this. Look, you guys are trying to say that there's a contractual dispute here when, in fact, there is no contractual dispute because no one was under contract to do anything. And from the common law side of things, we have no harmed or injured party. And, you know, stop and think about this. The state cannot be party to this because, you know, they're not, they have no firsthand knowledge. They, they weren't harmed. You know, when you see a case that says the people of the state of Illinois – against so-and-so, the people being the plaintiff. The people can't be a plaintiff, okay? And there's another case, it's called Trenzi versus Bagliaro, that basically explains that very, very concisely, that, look, the prosecutor jumps up and he says, Your Honor, uh, I have evidence here to submit to the court. Well, you can't do that, okay? There's rules to this whole scenario and the common law is there to make sure that those rules are adhered to kind of like i guess you could equate it with something like uh canon law you know canon law is the rules of what they can and cannot do okay the common law is our rules of what they can and cannot do so what trinity versus pagliaro the short of that is is that a uh a the, the uh the state itself uh, the attorney general or the prosecuting attorney cannot enter facts or evidence before the court or motion for summary judgment because they have no interest in the case. They are not party to the case. They are considered a third-party intervener. So the only person that could enter evidence or facts before the court would be the injured or harmed party. And if they aren't there, well, then... There's nothing there. Now, equity will fight you on this 
and they will try and turn this around, and they'll wordsmith, and they'll play these verbiage games and stuff like that. And there's more to knowing more about this, but the short of it is this. There's rules for, for both sides. One side is there to make sure that the other side follows the rules. And that would be the common law side saying to the equity side, look, here's the rules that you guys are violating right here. You've had unconscionable behavior. You've ignored the Constitution of not only the state of uh, Illinois, for example, but you've also ignored the Constitution of the United States of America. You can't not do to, that, guys. Not to mention the Magna Carta. <laughs> right. And, okay. uh, you know, it sounds like you've got a pretty good grasp on what's going on. It, it's just, it, you know, it will take uh, getting to know a few more of these cases and I mean, listen. There's there's all kinds. There's a uh, oh uh, Reichart uh, versus Phelps. There's Scott versus Sanford. There's uh, uh, McLean versus Curtis. There's uh, oh God. I mean, uh, and I'm just kind of going off my head here. Uh, United States versus Dewitt. And I mean, each one of these things that we're talking about here deals with a different part of the rules. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure that, you know, I'm just giving you some stuff off the top of my head. Um, but uh, let's take, uh, let's see, what would be a good one here? Uh, I guess Boyd versus the United States. Um, it provisions that all persons within the jurisdiction of the United States shall have the same right under every state and territory to make and enforce contracts. Okay? That's an equity thing. Okay? But it's saying that there's a, that you have the same right, no matter whether you're in Illinois or you're in New York, you have the same rights under contract, and that's not going to change. So if you find that you know there was a uh, a hidden uh, there was something hidden in the contract that you weren't made aware of, you know that that nullifies the contract because. The, uni- the unifying ingredient here is that all things across the country are going to be the same. Those customs and laws are all going to be the same. Okay. And if you deviate from them, that creates a nullity. I've been doing uh, a much study uh, in the past month or so on 22 or 23 reasons to avoid a judgment. And I believe that was one of the things mentioned besides due process being the strongest was that if there was not full disclosure with a contract, something hidden, as you were saying, then it nullifies it. Yes. And uh, I'm, I'm up against the wall right now with a situation in Indiana that I have not been able to find any recourse or remedy uh, all the way up to the governor's office as of uh, two days ago, I've been putting in calls since I found out that it's the commissioners who oversee all of the prisons in the state of Indiana to put in my claim with them that there's a terrible injustice happening with a living man being incarcerated who has filed an affidavit of truth last year and who has filed a DBA and whom the prison and the the chief counsel for the that's listed on the governor's website as being a Bob Buer isn't even on the attorney's role. I'm 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 abhorred by it. 
Uh, so I have no one to, I do not have a voice in the state of Indiana. Uh, and so they've told me, um, I could take it, I said, I'd like to keep it in the Indiana arena and not have to go to the federal. And they told me, go ahead and go if you want to. But there's nothing I'm going to say or do anymore that's going to make any difference. And they're right because they're passing me around like a hot potato. Today I came full circle with trying to get disciplinary records of an inmate for over a year and uh, was finally told by the chief counsel with the power of attorney I have for the inmate that I should get those records. Well, it's been over a month. And today I came full circle when the woman at the central office in Indianapolis told me I have to go back to the prison and because that's where the records are. I said, no, they directed me here. I sent the facts twice. I'm not. I'm tired of doing these people's work for them. I told them you're okay. probably, you know. So anyway, that bottom line is, I'm trying to find out. Okay, rather than start filing eight, uh, 18, uh, Title 18, uh, U.S. 241 and 242, which I have strong claims for, I'd like to be able to know if I have an option of calling in a grand jury. Uh, making a presentment. Well, you know, you you do have the you do have the right to do that, and you know, it would have to go under a review and advisement of the administrative staff before it goes on to a full grand jury. But you know, if your facts are straight and yeah. they're they're to the point yeah. and they have validity, yes, the grand jury would be able to to hear that case. Yeah, give me just one second. Hang on one second. I'm going to take the flag for a little bit, Mama G. Yes. Yeah, and and to Paul, um, I want to address that thing about the sheriff that you were talking about. Yes. And another consideration I'd like you to keep in mind. When you, it doesn't have to be either or. I'm finding in Illinois, the Illinois civil procedure, if you look it up, has common law. It's a very big part of Illinois, okay? And the very fact that a lot of the attorneys do not use it is because they don't want to. Right, it's not profitable. Okay? And so when you would take, and the one of the plus side, the upside of our work, is when we are organizing groups like this, it forces the current administration, known as a de facto, or the ones that are in, 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 in the courts, they have to readjust the driving wheel to include something that they knew is, uh, there, is there, but they didn't want to use it. Or they, yeah. right. So when, when you do give us to a sheriff and say, hey, this needs to be done, it may not be 100% tossed out. It may actually trigger the judge to, to right. turn around and review and include it in their process. Now, one of the things that, that, is, that I notice is the, same, the basic stuff that is people's jobs, 
Okay, so when a sheriff is acting and he's in public eye, so he's got a lot of pressure on him uh, or her. Well, when they're acting, they will act according to what they have been taught to do. Okay, so if they have to go to a, a somebody who's sitting at the bench, you know, put in there by um, a de facto system, then they can't ignore that because it's their job. So somehow they have to get the education that what we are doing is also something they cannot ignore. Do you see where I'm going? And then the the person then, the sheriff will then have to make the decision to uphold the law, whether it's in de jure or de facto. If it's okay, I'd like to add something to that. Yes, please. And, and this is very important, uh, and I think for everybody's sake, they should remember this, that, you know, and my suggestion to you, Mama G, is I would file an affidavit of fact, okay? And when I say file it, I mean file it into the court and then have it process served to all parties concerned, including the prison, okay? Now, think about this. Uh, 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 the Supreme Court, Justice Scalia, basically said that, you know, look, an affidavit of fact that is unrebutted is is fact. I mean, you cannot get around it. Um, That's as revealing as it can get. So once you file an affidavit of fact, if they fail to rebut your affidavit of fact, then you can go ahead and you can process that and you can nullify whatever, whatever it is that they've done because by their silence, Remember the term acquiescence. By their acquiescence, they have admitted guilt. Okay, and that's enough for you to void any decision. Now, look, knowing from what I did with the habeas corpus, this is not something that's going to happen overnight. But it is possible for you to do that, and you know the way you go about that is by filing paperwork. And when I say filing, I mean with the clerk. And, you know, they're going to charge you money because they're the de facto side. And, by the way, that's considered baritry, and there are laws that protect you from having to pay money to file with the court. But that's, you know, that's another fight, so to speak. And you can, you can bring that one to them. That's a small fight. And you can say, hey, look, you know, uh, this case, this case, this case says, look, and the Supreme Court says, I don't have to give you money to file this. File this on demand. That's another term you should get to know. File this on demand. I need need you to hear that today. Thank you. You You're an answer to my prayer. Because also today, yesterday and today, I have um, prepared a judicial notice to one of the counties in southern Indiana that for a year ago when I requested public access to transcripts, Oh, for my son, with power of attorney, the judge wrongly denied it, saying that uh, they weren't going to give out these three copies even though he was indigent. So today I was on the phone with the clerk, and she had to check with the state uh, this morning, and then she got back with me this day. And she told me that uh, if I file it into the case, even though the case is closed, I wouldn't have to pay any fees. Otherwise, I would have to pay 157, or yeah, 157, dollars. And I said, right. well, that could be a problem. <laughs> uh, because okay. Well, here's the thing. You, you might want to try this next time. 
when they start that with you, you just look, kind of look at them. I always like just tilt my head. I look at them and I get a big smile on my face. And I, well, that sounds like barratry to me. Are you saying I have to pay for justice? Oh, and watch them squirm, okay, because they know. They know. Trust me. And here's the other thing. Keep in mind, and you can say this to them too. You can say, listen, I'm not telling you something that isn't based in fact. If you don't know those facts, I personally am going to uh, take this to the Judicial Review Board because as a public servant, we hold you, we the people, meaning we the people, hold you to a higher standard because you're supposed to know this. Now, don't tell me I just walked in here and gave you a lesson in what you should know because if that's the case, you shouldn't be behind that counter doing that job. Exactly. Oh, and you know, and look, I, I'm going to put it to you this way: you got to put on your big girl, you got to put on your big girl boots, and you got to be ready to box. Okay. And I got so, to I got to have my big girl boots with steel toes in them. And okay, I know how to tell what I'm saying. Okay. And, I don't, and here's I the don't. thing. Here's the thing: keep anger, animosity, and personal, you know, personal uh, vendetta out of it. Oh, I do. Look, listen, we know they're all pricks and they're working for the wrong side. We all know that, okay? But the more times that you smile and you quote from fact, like it's scripture, like you've got it, you know, and look, you've got to memorize some of this crap. And you know what? If you'd asked me five years ago if I was going to be doing this, I'd like to say, well, what are you, out of your mind? Okay? (laughs) But out of necessity, you know, comes these inventions. But... Mm -hmm. The bottom line is, in your particular case, what you want to do is you want to create a paper trail. Your paper trail will consist of affidavits of facts. I have. Well, I'm... and then your filings and your servings. Now, when when somebody gets served and you have, let's say, let's say you tell me to go serve the sheriff, and I go serve the sheriff, you better make sure that you have your affidavit of service filed with your second paperwork, okay? Because they're going to go look at that. And, and this is what this is what's so important with the grand jury and with all of everything that we're talking about. It's the process, okay? It's not what you're doing. It's the process that you use to get to the end result. If you don't have that process, you're not going to get to the end result because they're going to dance around like they've been, you know, they've been sending you from one office to the other. I bet you didn't know this. I'll bet if you look into this, I'll bet you'll find out that that prison that this person is in is owned by Payne Weber, which is a privatized prison system. It may have another name, but the parent company is Payne Weber. Okay, well, they say that it's not a private, it's one of the, there's only two or three private-owned prisons, they tell me, in the whole state. And the one that okay. this I'm speaking about is not in a privatized prison. Okay, well, that's a good thing then, okay, because now you have an ability to get at their process, whereas as a private company, you know, they don't have to give you their policies if they don't want. Or they can say, look, our policy is not to give you any information. And so then you're going to have to attack that on a a whole different level. But if this is a state-run facility, those policies – they're in the revised statutes, okay? And you can go and you can pick through the revised statutes. Now, here's something you probably didn't know, and I just discovered this here recently, 
and Narveen and I both have used this. Uh, we've used this here recently, both both of us. But that if you really look through these statutes, you'll find that many of them are what we call a duality of mind. And I'm going to give you an example. Here in Illinois, in ILC 5, I want to say it's 735, I think, um, it says that they are a de facto organization. They are not the government, but if they stay in power for three years, then they are the government. Let me give you an example to clarify what duality that is. That's like me and you writing a writing a statute that says, "Hey, look, we're going to go out and we're going to rob banks, and if you don't catch us for three years, then it's lawful for us to go out and rob banks." Well, you can't do that, and that's where the common law comes in. The common law says, "Wait a minute, guys, in your statutory realm, you can't do that. Here's why." And so you can attack, and believe it or not, you can actually sue the bonding company for a statute that is serving duality of mind. Interesting. All statutes are bonded. Remember, all statutes are bonded. I know. The word statute means bond. And statute law means bond merchant. I didn't know that. Yeah, I got a I got a download on Gene Keating. It's called the Prison Trustee or Trustee. I, I don't know exactly how it's spelled or say it. It's spelled T R E A T I S E. Trees. Yeah, it's very interesting. A good layout. He did excellent work with that. Oh, please send it to us, then we can circulate that. And I'd like to read it actually. Uh, if you have a way to text message me your email, I can uh, upload it and email to you. I've learned how now. <laughs> sure. So I want everybody's you know email, but my, our email is on on the common law grand jury. I'm pretty sure it's over there too. Okay. Well, uh, if but if I'll, I'll, no I'll have your number. I'll have your number and I'll text you. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Mama G. Yes. Um, if you want, and this is for anybody that's on the call right now, Paul, if you're still with us, you know, you're, you're, you're welcome to this as well. I, well, I think Paul, yeah, I think Paul already has it. Uh, my email is pretty easy to remember. It's the whisper ministry at Gmail. The what? The whisper ministry Would at you Gmail. Whispering, like what you do when you're giving secrets. Oh, mystery. The whisper. Whisper. The whisper ministry. Whisper. Whisper. Okay. My hearing is not working right now. My one side is failing me. Whisper. Okay. <laughs> Everything's okay. coming in. And, and, and you guys, I'm, I'm, unfortunately, I'm going to have to cut out. I got somebody at my door, and I, 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 need, I need to deal with this. Well, thank you so much. Many blessings to you and yours. And, and you as well. I look forward to hearing from all of you in the future here. Uh, I do apologize again about not having that grand jury manual uh, done as quickly as I would like to have had. I had a small fire here in the house, and then I lost some of my information. So, uh, oh. you know, I'm back on track with it. So, uh, you know, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be much longer, and I'll have everything dialed in for everybody. Yeah, no apologies. It, just having uh, that is is wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, thank night. you. Thank you. Yeah. Good night. I'm on the call, uh, Mamaji and Paul. 
Um, so I'm still on the call, and we can see if we have anything else over here. But otherwise, um, we can uh, we can you know discontinue the call, um, you know mid- adjourn it. But I if you if you have any questions, please bring it up, and there is something that I would like to bring up. May I? Yes. Um, this is Babaji. Um, I'm wondering. There's many different options that I feel I have been laid before me. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to find the shortest route. The habeas corpus sounds good, but uh, in in immediate release and then work out the rest later. I do not, uh, I've been running around in circles so much with the state of Indiana, not just this time around, um, but in, in other times. And it's like, uh, I don't know if it's going to do any good to file anything like an affidavit of fact. It seems like by the time that cures and uh, they don't answer, and it would be too long of a time. And so... I don't- I'm not sure about that because you have to go through the process. Yeah. Yeah. I've already already filed the affidavit of truth uh, declaring on record, and there's a a letter from a doctor that the disability the inmate suffers from to this day is the result of the unjust, inhumane interaction with the court and the law enforcement that has labeled him with yet another disability. And uh, the courts have not acknowledged it or done anything to uh, comply with the physician's um, prescribed uh, 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 remedy. And um, furthermore, there's just so many things. It, it takes on three counties. Now it's the state of Indiana. I, I think I would, I would prefer, if the option is there, to make a presentment to a grand jury, a common law grand jury, to look into the matter, to help me look into the matter, and uh, and get it resolved. Uh, but I'm going to need guidance with uh, this habeas corpus business to get an immediate release. My my son had me- mentioned to me about a habeas corpus, and I haven't a clue how to go about it. Well, I will. I'm not. I think you're going to have to read up, and the internet. You have access to an internet, don't you? Uh, occasionally, I do not have a 24/7 uh, access. I have to go elsewhere for my internet access because I'm up in the mountains and I don't care. Oh, okay. Well, you're going to have to do that. You're going to have to go up and then start asking questions about about this and read up of it. It's uh, the information about the laws, law information on the internet is absolutely spectacular. It's very easy to find it. And so it won't take you that much time. And what I would do, do you have a computer at home at all, but without the Internet? I have two of them working. (laughs) What? 
you got two of them work? Yeah, I have, I have two computers working, and then I have two ter- I have two terabyte drives for backup. So what you would do is go there and pull it up, put it all down in a flash drive, bring it home, and study it at home. So you maximize the amount of time that That's you would fine. use outside. I'm yes, sure you do that already. Thank, thank you, Naveen, but that's what I do. When I get to the library, I have my folders, and then I throw everything in there, and then in the evenings and the mid-mornings, I, sure. I, I yeah. do my work. Yeah. yeah, that's the best thing to do, and it's actually a very effective method. Yeah, um, I want to, and then besides, you know, through these calls, because this calls, these calls are education, and yeah. so we do, we do educate people with it. So. With these calls, there's a lot of information that will be exchanged. Would, um, would the grand jury in Illinois be able to extend itself to a people in Indiana who no. are uh, needing assistance with... Um, no, because no. It, each state is a republic. However, the national grand jury can. Mm. What, what we are involved now is national. You know, you're from a different state. We've got people all from different states. Um, so yes, you can. You we can on a national level, and we have never done that. Uh, so we'll have to look at and to see all the minute details. Well, but, being, uh, excuse me, Narveen, being as myself and my family were a test case in Indiana for homeschooling, which opened up the doors and caused them to change the laws. Um, I think possibly this might be looked at as uh, possibly another test for let's do it. On uh, yeah, in Indiana, you know, I, I sent uh, Sandra an email, and I'll give her a call also because Indiana might be able to come forward. I, but uh, but it, we may be able to do it through just the national. So let's think about that. In the meantime. Uh, because next week I hope you will be here, and then the next week we can uh, yes. we can revisit that. All right, uh, I want to read you um, our mission statement. I'm mean, supposed to begin that at the beginning, but you know we never go around to it. <laughs> so uh, the mission statement for the national is to establish a national popular assembly to support the restoration of the constitutional foundation of the United States of America. So it's very simple. Lots yeah. of hard work, but it's very simple. I repeat it again, to establish a national popular assembly to support the restoration of the constitutional foundation of the United States of America. And for Illinois, it's on the same lines, but a little different. It says for the, for the mission statement for Illinois is to establish popular assembly in Illinois and her counties to support the restoration of the constitutional foundation of the United States of America. So, so that's Indiana would have to start the same thing to be plugged into the national. Correct. Well, no, they don't. They can do it by themselves. But if they want to access the national then they would, um, you know, approach the National Assembly. Uh-huh. The okay. rules are still the same. 
Yeah, I want to uh, give you an update. I have talked to Sandra Block. Oh, uh, good. Uh, and we've become very well acquainted. She's very, very right on with so many things. We find out we have a lot of things in common in our uh, background uh, uh, growing up years. <laughs> and yeah. uh, in, in any way, um, we're, we're going to be working together in Indiana. Good. She's the one that uh, we've been working with to get started on this. Yeah, and we, we originally got to meet each other is on um, on the Michigan Assembly. Yes, and I'll, I'll speak to you about that some conversation I've had with her, and some concerns that were raised that I'd like to um, address with you, but not on this call. I'll call you another time. Yes. About yes. Yeah. You can you can call me later on after this call, if you like. Oh well, thank you. I just might do that. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, so that's what we have. I don't know if we have anything else. Do we? I do not this evening. All right, then. Um, I'd like to make a move to adjourn the meeting for next week. I need a second. You second. Thank you so much. And we will adjourn for this week. And... Uh, I'm going to say good night, and uh, I haven't had much chatting with Paul, but uh, we can definitely chat next week. All right. I'm Thanks. ending the call. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway, and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.